Why do we have insights when our mind is quiet? How do insights play a role in our ability to learn and when do they impact the trajectory of our lives? Welcome to Insight Out, where we explore these questions and dissect how insights influence who we are and ultimately who we become. I interview New York Times bestselling authors and some of the most influential minds of our time to find out what insights have helped to make them who they are. When I realized that the world worked in many different ways, I'm going to choose to create a life that is specifically designed for me. I see infinite capacity to think and create. That's the magic that we all have. You can tap into that any point in your life. You just have to decide to do it. And as a leader, you have to be a transition figure. As Dr. Covey said, be a light, not a judge. Be a model, not a critic. If you're like me, constantly working to design a life that will allow you to reach your fullest potential so that you can leave your mark on this planet, then you're in the right place. I'm glad to have you on this journey and hope you enjoy this episode of Inside Out. Mario Armstrong is motivating people around the world to never settle. He does this by inspiring the human spirit, teaching lessons that matter, and uncovering new perspectives. A two-time Emmy Award-winning talk show host and digital lifestyle expert, Mario's been on NBC's Today Show, CNN, NPR, Steve Harvey, Inside Edition, Dr. Oz, and many other powerhouse shows. He's also the host and creator of his own show, The Never Settle Show, which is a web television series that teaches creators how to monetize and market their passions while hustling, as he describes it, mindfully. He focuses on positivity, motivation, and tactical advice to inspire people to take action while pursuing their personal and professional goals. He also has a podcast called Wake Up and Level Up, which helps people kickstart their day with a five-minute jolt of inspiration. In this episode, we talk about his obsession with eyeglasses and sneakers and how they've become part of his personal brand. We also discuss why he's become an advocate for the underdog, what he means when he says we shouldn't let our options become our objectives. You see, Mario believes our uniqueness is our superpower, and he shares his story unfiltered, talking about at one point, he was so broke, he had to go to the coin star to cash in his coins. But Mario never gave up on his big vision. This one's chocked full of insights. He shares how he uses tangible affirmations to keep the momentum going for anything that he's striving to achieve. And he talks about how he uses what he calls the S-curve to think about our own personal growth. This one is a must-not-miss, so let's dive straight in to the conversation. Mario Armstrong, welcome to Inside Out. Man, Billy, it's so good to be on with you, man. I'm super excited to be here. So thanks. It's an honor and a privilege to be speaking to you. The honor is all mine. I'm so excited to talk about your journey, your life journey, and all of the amazing insights that you're sharing with the world. Let's start with a really tough question. Okay. How many pairs of eyeglasses do you own? <laughs> That's a tough one. Uh, let's see. One, two, uh, it's about 15. <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. Okay. So there's like a whole thing that's going on over here that you can also can't see. Like, so 
and it's like three shelves in the side of a unit. But, you know, I mean, the deal is the reason why I love style and I love being able to find something that speaks to me. So the two things that kind of speak to me, and I think anyone feels like my first takeaway, anyone is out there should be thinking about what speaks to you and just lean into it. So for me, it was eyewear and sneakers. And the reason was because they made, they made me feel comfortable, but they also allowed me to communicate and be expressive about who I am. And so whatever that may be for you, could be the color of your hair, could be the fact that you want to go bald, it could be bow ties, it could be like Seth Godin, which does Mitch Max socks, could be anything, like whatever you want to do, just pick something and do it. And, and that's what kind of happened. And then I got lucky and, and got with Zenny Eyewear, which is, is a sponsor of mine, which right. is also made it so that I could have multiple pair, but they do start at like only $6.95. So anybody can afford multiple pair. And that's the reason why I partnered with them because I wanted an affordable brand to partner with. So that's the story. I love it. Democratizing eyewear, making it easy yes. for anybody to be the uh, the Mario Armstrong version of a, an eyeglass aficionado. I appreciate that, man. I'm glad you brought up the the sneakers, the sneaker game you got. Like you must have. I don't even. Do you, can you count the number of sneakers you have? I've lost count, but here's the thing: these have been sneakers that have been over the years. I'm talking like over seven, eight years, and I, I know that might still seem like not enough, but whatever. Like that's my addiction, sneakers. But here's the thing: it's all because as a kid growing up, I couldn't afford them, so that was one. And two, I decided to turn my addiction of sneakers into something that could really benefit me, which is really this kind of weird way that I've kind of uncovered what I call a tangible affirmation, which is a way for me to actually see something that I'm, I buy my reward in advance of me being able to use it, or in this case, wear it, but I attach a goal or a milestone that I have to hit in order to then get that treat. So behind me, there's like, you know, a pair of shoes right now that uh, my brother and I did during a pandemic. We went on to Nike's website and did it, but I can't wear these shoes until the new course is launched. Ah, so love that. when the new course is actually launched, then I get to celebrate. And these shoes, by the way, have been sitting here since January, like 20 ish. They've been sit sitting here like, like the, towards the end of the January, but, but the course comes out in like two days. So GetSponsorshipMoney.com. GetSponsorshipMoney.com. Yeah. <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. And what a great idea to have a tangible affirmation. I remember hearing you talk about that and I was like, wow, what a genius idea because you're sort of dangling the carrot for yourself, giving yourself something to shoot for. So your brand has become synonymous in, in, a, lot, in, a, in, a, in a lot of ways to um, how you show up, right? And, and the way in which you are on stage or in front of the camera, you know, with your glasses and with your shoes. But I want to go back in time and, and I want to talk about you as a high schooler. I know you wanted to fit in. You wanted to get the attention of your peers, not unlike a lot of people in high school. And so can you talk a little bit about your experience in high school and how that informed the human being that you are today? Whew, that's a great question. And it's a, um, you know, everybody has different experiences. For me, that's a touchy experience because I didn't feel like my high school experience was the one that I really would have liked to have signed up for. And I feel like I was always trying to figure out how to fit in. And then I kind of would pigeonhole myself and only fit into a small group of people. And I was an athlete or at least I thought I was until I kept trying out for the basketball team and kept getting cut. But up until then, I had been like a superstar, like in middle school, grade school, like all that stuff. Like I was in incredible, like rec leagues, basketball camps, 
but it just, it wasn't in the cards. It didn't work out. And that was a tough one for me to kind of deal with and bounce back from, if you will. So I think, you know, it was a little bit different, man. I mean, that high school experience of even going a few years before that, even I can even remember things like in seventh grade when I was trying to really fit in, but I was a small, I was a thin guy, still am curly hair. I was an easy target, somebody that was easy to pick on. And I wouldn't say that I was insecure because my parents really raised me to be strong and they really raised me to be resilient. And they taught me that I could be anything I wanted to be. But, you know, any kids, you know, <laughs> I think we're all insecure at that age because you're still trying to figure yourself out. Sure. And you're still trying to find out how to fit in. And you got these things that you do as ways to react to things that are that are defense mechanisms that you learn later or like, oh, that's the way I'm defensive. I try to crack jokes on somebody or I try to deflect or so I just think that my high school experience, once I got to there, you know, I sucked at school in terms of grades academically. I wasn't interested. Uh, maybe one or two subjects. I think English I did very well in and one other subject I did well in, which go figure, that's why I'm in communications and went into media. But everything else I could have cared less to care less about. If they would have taught me entrepreneurship, I would have been wide awake when I got a 4.0. <laughs> they didn't teach me that. If they would have taught me marketing or branding or something like that, I'd have been awake 4.0, but they didn't teach me that. So so it, it was um it was different and challenging for me. I went to a private high school. Fortunately, my parents did pay for that, and I'm thankful that they were able to pay for that. Um, but it was still kind of like e- even though we were in this environment, we I automatically segregated my, uh, myself. Like when you go into the school cafeteria, there was like, there's the black table. And that's like, oh, well, I guess I'm supposed to sit at the black table. And so it was all these weird things that like everyone's trying to figure yourself out. And as a human, as a social being, you are trying to connect with people that you have common interests with and common goals with. And so it's easy for you to connect with people that have similar goals, similar, similar uh, nuances, similar upbringings. And so that becomes your core. But then as you start to emerge, you start to want to explore. And that's where things, I think, got a little confusing for me because I was trying to figure out how to explore without leaving some of my close friends behind, but with, but with also not just trying to like jump into new circles as a complete stranger. So it was really weird for me. High school was one of those things. College, much better, much better. I I got into a groove. I figured it out. I connected with people. I started to branch out. I was always a very expressive kid like I am now. And I had friends, but I just didn't feel like I used that time to the best of my ability. Mm. Well, you know, and, and it's interesting too, because college is a new maturity level, right? You're now at a point where I think people start to accept each other more. It's not about how can you ridicule? How can you belittle? How can you tease or make fun of other people to make right. yourself feel better? And yet you found yourself in a situation in college that forced you to leave college. Yeah. <laughs> which is a whole nother, which is a whole nother thing, man. How did, how did that experience fuel the next chapter of your life. Jeez, man, you're, you're hitting some good ones because even though I said, and you know, it's funny, I said college was better for me. It was better after the, after the second semester of my freshman year. Um, so what happened, the, the short story is, imagine this, you're a kid that doesn't do well in school, in high school. You don't get into any of the colleges that you would have liked to have tried to get into So your dad makes some last minute phone call to some college in West Virginia, and you find out that you can get into this school. You don't know. You just go into this state college that's in West Virginia, and it's a six hour drive 
from here. We go to West Virginia State College. I get there and the first semester was great. Like I completely connected with people and felt like I belonged and knew why I was supposed to be there. I knew what major I was going after. I, like I had purpose, I had drive. So for once, I'm in, ed- in an educational scenario where I know exactly what it is I want to pursue. And that was communications. So I knew what my major was. So now I'm going to classes that are speaking to that. So now for the first time ever in my life, I'm getting B's and B plus and, and even some A's. And I'm sending the, the report card home to mom, like super ecstatic. And she's so super proud. And it must've been, it was like during that first semester where everything was going great, that Somehow or another, there was a a person in the local community that lived in that area of West Virginia called Institute West Virginia. And he was really like the head gangster. I didn't know this at the time, but he's like the head gangster of like that community or that area outside of campus. So we're going to some of these off-campus events. They could be football games, parties, whatever. And for whatever reason, he zones in on me. Again, the target, skinny, out-of-towner, curly hair, thin. Um, I'm an easy one to pick on. So he decided to pinpoint me and I'll never forget that first night that he pinpointed me. And like, he rolled up on me with like four of his guys and some adult that was there who happened to just know my dad from years ago. My dad ended up going to this school years before Mm -hmm. he sees what's going on and he grabs me and he says, come with me. And he says, I don't know what just happened, but he said, you just, you just got mixed up with the worst guy that you could ever get mixed into something with. And I'm like, I didn't do a damn thing. So I I go to campus, stay on campus, mind my business, do my thing. But eventually he starts coming to campus and things get out of control. And you don't have campus police back then like you do now. You don't have all the security that you do. So fights are happening. I'm trying to defend myself. I got other freshmen that are like my friends trying to help support me. And it really got to an elevated level where there were guns involved. I mean, if you could just imagine going to high school, getting out with a C-something average, going to college as your first year, getting away from Baltimore, Maryland, so I could get a break from from Baltimore for a minute, and knowing what my major is, getting amazing grades, thinking that I'm on my path, I'm going to be done with this in four years. I just joined a fraternity, by the way, and became a Kappa, which was awesome. But at the same time, I'm now getting into fights. I'm having to defend myself, trying to go to class, and I'm also being shot at. (sighs) You can't make this up. <laughs> like, you can't make this up. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you one quick story. There was this, this is a good story because it kind of like embodies the whole thing. This is almost like it should have been a movie. There was this guy that was a senior that was on the basketball team. He was a point guard, but he was still like six foot one or something like that. And curly hair, Puerto Rican guy. Can't remember exactly what his name was, but he had a chocolate. I do remember he had a chocolate brown Cadillac. And this is all important because he comes to me one day. We weren't friends. We weren't buddies. I was a freshman. He comes to me one day. He was like, you know that dude, Wayne, that keeps messing with you? He's like, yeah. He's like, I talked to him. He's like, here's a deal. I can broker a meeting between the two of you. I'm like, what is going on? (laughs) I can broker a meeting between the two of you. And what we're going to do is drive you to, we're going to drive you to a location. You two fight it out. And once that's done, this whole thing is squashed. And I'm like, Okay, wait, you're from Nueva York. You're from New York, Puerto Rican. Okay, you might know what this life is, but first off, I don't know you. Secondly, I don't know where you're going to drive me to. Third, I don't know who else is going to show up in this. So no, all of my Baltimore instincts kicked in and I was like, hell no, man, I'm not doing that. But that's when I realized like this is getting to a whole other level 
that other people that are on campus trying to figure out how to broker a situation for this whole thing to be squashed because it must have been the entire talk of campus but i didn't even really know that wow. until it got you know very late into the game and then once that whole shooting thing happened mom and dad were like what you know they got the phone call and the next day I was out of there. So now I'm abruptly taking out of college. This is a pattern interrupt of the worst kind because I'm now taken abruptly out of college. And now I have to try to figure out where I now get placed and, and how I get back into school. And it never, and I went to two other, two and a half other colleges and it, it never got, it never got planted. The roots were already, mm -hmm. it was already done. The damage was done. Well, because you were on such a great trajectory, you had really made a pivot in your academic life. You were feeling good. You were feeling like you found your That's rhythm. And, and then the rug <laughs> got pulled out from under you. But yet I'm really intrigued by this concept of life change that is either out of our control or largely out of our control and how sometimes we look back and reflect and say, like, had that not happened, I wouldn't be who I am today. <laughs> right. I want to talk about you today. You're an advocate. This brings us perfectly into you're an advocate for the underdog. You focus on listening so that you can understand and by modeling what listening looks like and helping other people understand what it means to be heard. You help the unheard become heard. Mm -hmm. Why is that it's so true. important to you? I think because of the things that you, you know, this is an amazing interview, how you pull this together, because that's really what that's really at the at the crux of what this is all about about when it comes when you start to center yourself as a human being and you really kind of lean into your strengths and really try to pull in off of your experiences bad or good those things can inform you if you want to listen to them and you want to deal with that reality and be truthful with yourself you deal with that you deal with the fact that you've had these these experiences and you're now in a position where you could be empathetic to somebody else and because you know what it feels like, you know what it feels like to not be heard. And because you know what it feels like to have your thing uprooted, you know what you know what it's like to not have that footing. And so to help people get to that space, do it in a way that is true to who they are and what they're trying to achieve and where they're trying to go. And listening to that and understanding that and leading with that kind of intent of not what's in it for me, but what's in it for them. But how do I use my experience as expertise to help them move forward? And I think that's a big thing that a lot of people just may overlook is the fact that your experiences are your expertise. And when you have certain experiences, you can lean on that as an expert because you've actually gone through those things. As opposed to trying to become an expert in something, you've actually lived through certain things already. It's just a matter of whether or not you're using them in some way to help benefit you or benefit others. And so I feel like that's been really important to me to not see others go through pain because when others share, when we're transparent as human beings, when we share our successes as well as our failures, when we share more of the process and not the prize, people actually get the real learnings. Mm -hmm. And when people get the real learnings, they can understand how they can apply it for their life in their way. And when I've seen those light bulbs go off for people, that was the, the light bulb for me. When I saw it go off for others, I was like, oh, I'm into something that I'm locked into that I should work on, work towards, refine, build, curate, and cultivate. And that's kind of how it came to this whole thing of, oh, we're going to call it never settle. And, and that's because I speak to that because I've been through that personally as my experience, but also because I see so many other people that are going through pain. How can I help them 
not settle by being more transparent with my failures and the things that I've gone through. So I think it all full, it all goes full circle back to being a child and being a kid. And also it goes to my parents teaching me the power of the one muscle that I don't think enough people either get taught or don't have enough exposure to, or maybe just haven't understood the power of it. And that is resiliency. Mm. And the challenge with resiliency is you can tell someone how you can tell someone to your blue in the face to be resilient, but unless they actually get knocked down and then decide to get back up, they never flex that muscle. You never get to go into training. So the way I've tried to be resilient is to try more things because I know if I'm going to try, I'm going to fail more, but I'm also going to have more wins along the way. But the bigger point is, am I building, am I going to the gym? Am I building up the reps of the amount of experiments that I'm doing in order to build up the resilience so I can keep going? And so even changing the language from failure to learning, we don't say fail around here anymore. We say we learned or we're learning. Um, We don't use the word try too much. We use the word experiment. Because an experiment is just that. It, it allows you to re- reduce and drop the angst from yourself and just try something because it's, it's an experiment. So I think you know all of those things that have come, come about have come through the fact that I had this kind of hard knock life <laughs> yeah. in, in a weird way. And we've all had our hard knocks, but I've had, you know, I, I've had those knocks for a reason, clearly, so that I could use those as power for others. Yeah. And you know, you mentioned never settle and I want to touch into some of those insights in a minute, but before we do, I I think the thing that fascinates me uh, amongst, among many of the things is what your mission is today. I mean, you're helping entrepreneurs, you're helping creatives, you're helping especially millennials of color really navigate their own life journey. And to your point, you're leveraging your own life experiences to help not only encourage, but teach by example and give them and equip them really to light the world on fire and do whatever it is their unique superpower will allow them to do. And I, I'm really a fan of that. And we'll get into that unique bit in a minute, but okay. why is it that it's so important, especially to support and help millennials of color? Why is that such an important part of your mission? Yeah. You know, this is interesting too, because it wasn't always like that. At first it was help anyone that needs to help. And I'm still that person. Help anybody that needs to help. If anyone reaches out to me, they're going to find that, you know, I'm accessible in the DMs. I respond to people. I get back to you. It may take me a couple of days, but I, I, I listen. I hear. I try to get, you know, I, I reach back out. But as I, I guess, started to con- started progressing in my career and, you know, started to get access to certain rooms and certain calibers of people and conference rooms and spaces getting into Rockefeller Plaza on the 35th floor at NBC and being in certain rooms when you're, you know, pitching shows and you're hearing about pilots and all these things and getting on the Today Show and then having a contract with the Today Show and having a contract with CNN and the Today Show at the same time when a media person isn't supposed to be able to have that, having a lawyer that actually is fighting for my benefit to be able to distinguish these two companies to say, Hey, hold on CNN, your cable, NBC, your broadcast by definition, you two are two different types of media companies. He can be on both at the same time. So it was all these really awesome learnings. Oh, so I was able to triple my income because I was able to be on three networks, not on just one. And so it was all these things that I was learning. And I'm like, man, I'm the only one that's like in this space. that looks like me. That's like learning these things. Mm-hmm. And so I felt this level that you, you feel uh, this level of obligation, at least I do, because again, I think it goes back to the type of 
intent that I have, which is to be a tool for others to utilize or to learn from. So I'm constantly not looking for my benefit. I'm also like, what are the learnings that I'm actually getting in these spaces and how can I give that to someone else? And so initially that's to everybody. But as I started navigating in more of these spaces, I I recognized how few of us were in these spaces intentionally or unintentionally. And I was like, okay, so part of my job must be that I'm supposed to get this information since I have this type of access and be able to share it to communities that don't normally get this type of exposure. And so that's where the focus really started honing in on um, communities of color and and especially millennials that are all trying to you know start to make moves in personal branding, building their companies, launching businesses, um, wanting to do media uh, properties, wanting to launch books, um, all these different things because they didn't have to grow up doing a nine to five, and so they they've been able to see the freelance world post two thousand eight that you can actually. And, and the Zuckerbergs and everybody else of, of their world and their generation being able to see like, oh, if I have some great ideas and I actually build a brand and I develop some expertise, I can actually pull a few things together and make an income out of that. I don't have to work at a particular job in order to get that income. And so I think I saw all of those things happening at once and wanted to do what I could to be able to help those audiences not step into the same potholes that I stepped in. Well, you take the responsibility very, very seriously. Another thing that you take seriously, and I, I greatly admire you for this, is a, is a word. And that mm. word is integrity. Why yeah. is that word so important to you? And how would you define that word for Yo, you? Yo, that word, Billy, come on, man. You're a killer interview, man. <laughs> this is great. Role models, mentors, people that we absorb stuff from, it matters. So- how we operate in front of people, people watch, people witness that. And I certainly did with my dad, watching him pursue his dream and going bankrupt in the process, you know, uh, sharing a two bedroom apartment um, with my brother um, as kids and seeing the pink slip on the, on, the, on the apartment door for the eviction notice, but knowing that my dad was still like pushing hard on his dream, even though like everything in front of him was telling him not to. So all of this kind of speaks to resiliency, but it also speaks to, well, how did he operate? Did he cheat? Did he shortcut? When the pressure was on and he was super desperate, did he make any bad moves? Did he do anything that he regrets? And I, you know, as a kid watching all of that, all I saw was a man that stood like in his faith and in his word of what he said he was going to do. He was going to work his butt off to do it. And that he wasn't going to talk down, talk around, shortcut, or try to find any other illegal or illegitimate way to try to circumvent the situation that he was in. He owned up to those things. And that's what I saw. And I think that's where I learned it and, and learned it and learned it the most there. I remember being in seventh grade, man, going back to that moment. And I said something about some other kid's dad. I was being stupid, said something about some other kid's dad. The kid wasn't there. And the kid was older than me. He was in the eighth grade and he was kind of big too. Word got back to him because the next day he shows up at school. He said, I heard what you said about my dad. And the whole day I was like in fear because I was like, this, this dude is going to clean my clock. Like I'm, I'm done. There's no, like I was in fifth grade and he was in eighth. I wasn't in seventh. I was in fifth grade, sixth grade and he was in eighth. I was like, there's no way. This dude is like three times bigger than me. There's no way. So the whole day I'm ducking him in the halls. I'm ducking him here and there or whatever. And then we both were on the soccer team. Soccer practice ends. And uh, I'm telling you, I was really good. I was like a young kid, but I was on the varsity team of soccer and basketball. I was like a really good athlete. But nonetheless, the coach 
must have known what was even going down because <laughs> even he didn't say anything to me. And I said, Coach Edwards. And I remember, I remember this. And I'm like, don't lock the door. And he was like, I got to lock the door. And the look on his face was just like, oh. kid, you're on your own. <laughs> I was like, oh, you don't know what you're doing, Coach. Don't shut this door because he's still outside and there's no one else left from soccer. Like, why is he still here? His parents didn't get him yet. So next thing I know, he's chasing me around the school and I stopped and I just said, Victor, you're right. I said, I should have never said what I said. I said, I'm, I, I'm wrong and I'm sorry. I said, so you know what, man? I said, take your shot. This, this isn't going to be a fight. This isn't. And he's got like this sidekick kid of his that's telling him, oh, we want to see blood all over the pavement. So part of me was just like, I need to defuse his sidekick because his sidekick is going to hype him up. But at the same time, I'm trying to have this conversation of real sincerity, like, dude, you're so right. Let me stand in this and let me own this. Do what you need to do. And I mean, he gave me one hell of a right hook. I mean, I mean, he popped me in the chin and I, I dropped. I literally did fall. But uh, and, and I got home, man, and that thing started lumping up really bad. <laughs> my mom wanted to call the school and all this crap. And I'll never forget. My dad was like, no, you shouldn't have said what you said. But I appreciate the fact that you stood in your integrity and you stood up for what you said was wrong and you took the heat. Mm. He said, and that right there is a great lesson for you to learn. He said, he said, Gloria, do not call that school. <laughs> she didn't call it a school. So I think it was that lesson very early. Like, oh, watch what you say out of your damn mouth. And if you say something out of your damn mouth, you better be able to back it up mm. or just don't say it at all. And I think that lesson plus watching him really helped me understand the power of integrity because that dude could have really why did he hit me only once i never got a chance to ask him he wanted to really pulverize me and so his buddy really wanted to see that but there was a reason why he must have felt like damn this kid is really being sincere right now well i'd still have to get this one thing off i can't not do something to this kid like he shouldn't have said what he said because it was a really mean thing i said about his dad there's so much there that there's the power of modeling as a parent. And what we may not realize is sometimes it's our actions. It's not even what we say. It's just how we go about our lives that our children see. And so I think that's super powerful. By the way, super impressed by your memory. I mean, you, you could recount that like it happened yesterday. So <laughs> felt, that's like, like, just, felt like I just got hit in the <laughs> chin, man. <laughs> you were touching I'm your looking around. Somebody bring me a bag of ice. <laughs> is he here? Uh, and then the other thing is we go through life and I, I've often asked people, what do you regret in life? And there's usually two things, if anything, either they don't regret anything yeah. or they regret how they made people feel or they are saying the wrong thing to people or they regret what they haven't done. It's not they regret Ooh. what they've done. They regret what they haven't done. Right. Right. Those so are the only good, two really. things. So it's, it's such an interesting thing. And so- Go ahead. Go great ahead. Point. No, it's a great point because it's either at the end of the day, you know, spend spend some time at a at a at a at a nursing home or spend it spend some time with people that are really at at yes. their end. Yeah, whether that's a great grandparent or a grandparent of yours, like go and talk to them and ask them. Yep. And you'll find that it does come down to that, and it comes down to I tried or I wish or I wish I did try. Yeah. Like I either did it and I really did try some things. Or I really thought about it and I, and I really wish I would have tried some things. And it's funny. I don't have any regrets right now. I have things that, that I would like to do differently. 
But do I have regrets? No, because I really feel like those things informed me and helped shape me. And right yeah. now, the, re- the regrets that I'm, pr- I guess, future-proofing myself from are the regrets of not trying things and not allowing things like comparison, which was a thing that really I had to work on that really beats me down. And I had to recognize that weakness and try to really understand, well, how can I get as one with comparison? And how can I really believe the whole idea of like compare yourself against yourself? Yeah, it sounds good, but how do I actually tactically do that? Yeah. When, especially when the trigger comes up, that something triggers me. So it all goes back to, okay, well, how are you even aware of the triggers? Do you even know what triggers you? Okay, that's a great plus. If you know what triggers you, many people don't even know what triggers them. And so therefore they can't get to the root of it. But if you know what triggers you, you can get to the root of it if you decide to. And so I decided to, and it's still a battle, but it's those types of things that I think like uh, help shape me to not be complacent. And I believe that complacency breeds regret. And the more we can get comfortable, the more we may not even realize that we're not trying things that we could be trying. And then we look back later, it's like, ah, man, I should have tried more things. And it could be just as simple as, you worked your butt off and now you got complacent or you got a little comfortable. Not that you still weren't ambitious, not that you still didn't have ideas, but you also kind of worked to a certain point and you got there and you were kind of like, let me enjoy this for a minute. But maybe that just took over. So I'm just kind of, <laughs> I'm constantly trying to balance being in the present to enjoy what's actually happening in the present and not only focusing on things I would like to achieve as that being the only way to get enjoyment. Mm. Because then the other thing will show up is if I'm dead tomorrow, if, if I'm on the deathbed tomorrow, then what will it be? Oh, man, I spent all this time just chasing this dream and I didn't enjoy anything in the present moment. So, so true, man. It's so true. And I want, I want to get to the S curve in a minute. Before we get to that, Ooh, let's, talk, let's talk a little bit. You talked about your, your dad and how you saw that pink slip. You know, one thing about you is you're, you've been leaving it all on the field, man. I mean, you the reason I, I believe you don't have regrets is that you are – you're going for it. You're thinking big. You you have the vision. You're doing all the things. You're practicing what you preach. But you haven't had an easy road. You haven't had a perfect road. Well, at one point in your life, you found yourself at the coin star, putting yeah. in coins. You were near broke. And yep. you, it was a struggle. So at that point in your life, were you were you thinking about your parents? Were you thinking about your childhood? What were you thinking about? What was going through your mind at that point? And then how did you make a pivot to get to where you are today? Man, at that point, all I was thinking about was how much of a failure I was. That pain still feels like, literally, I'm, I'm getting watery-eyed. That pain still feels like two weeks ago. Um, and it's because, look, man, I told my wife, leave her job and come build this dream with me. We then had, you know, we had our three-year-old, he was three at the time, Christopher. Yeah, it was three. And everything seemed to be going well in terms of like the planning and setting up the LLC. And we had, I had just gotten laid off from my corporate job, but I had been working side hustle for basically all my career in in media. Because again, I didn't graduate from college, so I had to do everything my damn self. Like I actually had to learn how to become an on-air talent by asking radio stations, can I host a radio show here for free? Don't pay me. I'm just going to, I'm an expert in this particular space of technology and entrepreneurship. And I want to talk about that and help people, blah, blah, blah. 
So that's all I would do is I went into my local market and I went around to the TV stations and radio stations and asked, can I supply your listeners with some valuable content for free? I don't want anything in exchange. I just want the experience. In one case, I even had to go out and find a sponsor myself. So that taught me sales at a young age to go out and get a sponsor to fund the radio show that I wanted to do because I didn't graduate with a communications degree and then go off into a, a, a market and fill out the job application and then get hired at a radio station or a TV station and then work my way up to getting on air because I was like editing tapes or doing whatever in the background. And, and I didn't get any of that. So I wasn't able to hop from market to market to market to grow. So I had to, I had to create my own career path. And when I had asked her, to run this company. It's because she was the COO of two other startups. And so I was like, you got this, you can run the back and I'll take care of the front and this will be great. And everything sounded great. And then the market crashed and we, we had a $286,000 deal that was going to really set up the company with um, AOL and AOL reneged at the last minute, even though we've already paid for our lawyer, had a con had the contract sent to us, we signed it. E everything was going great, but the new CEO came in town and put a freeze on all contracts. And that just stopped us dead in the tracks. Two months later, the recession hit. I mean, imagine me, I'm dropping off, I'm dropping off my kid at my mother's house to watch the kid. I'm saying, hey mom, thanks for watching. Christopher, Nicole and I were headed to, to AOL for the signing party. We're gonna go and get this check and we're gonna be able to launch this company. Can you believe that this is actually happening? Your son's dream is actually happening and he's doing it with his wife. Only to find out on the drive there that it's not going down and that I gotta come back, I gotta come back, pick up my kid from my mom's house and explain to her why I'm in tears, why Nicole's in tears. And, and why we don't have a, a deal. And then two months later, the recession hits. So it's just crazy. Like you would never start a business at the top of a, any recession. Maybe some would, if you're smart about what, maybe where the gap is, <laughs> where, where the we weren't that smart. <laughs> so I think at that moment, when we, we were at our lowest low, I was actually thinking that I had failed my family. I had failed my wife. I had failed myself. And I was starting to wonder, was I repeating what I, what I saw my dad go through? Mm. I, I had to leave. There, there would be moments where I couldn't let her see me cry. It's not that I wasn't being a vulnerable male. There was, there's, there's a difference in letting her, me being open and her seeing me be hurt. And those moments definitely happen. There's, there, there are moments when it's happening too much and she can't see that. <laughs> like, like yeah. I, I can't see that. Like, you know, so I just remember there were times when, when I would leave the house because we would be working from home and I would leave the house and I would, I don't, can't remember what I tell her I would go do, but I go do something. I sit in the parking lot and I just be like trying to figure this damn thing out. So the coin star thing was me taking loose change to try to get money so that I could put some gas in the car so I could try to hustle together a $200 thing here or a 500 buck thing there. It, it was just, you're in business with your wife with no damn safety net. Mm -hmm. safety net's an interesting thing and i often think about this and there are a lot of people who have talked about the power of not having a safety net of not having something to lean back on something that gives you the assurance that you'll be okay because it it gives you that drive it gives you that grit that determination something that you talk about a lot is this notion that most people walk through life surviving instead of thriving. And, and I, I think that's so true. And another thing that you share is that we often let our options define our objectives. And so what you just shared is kind of like, and you shared that like, hey, you got laid off at your job. So you could have said, I, my options are running out. Can you talk a little bit about what you mean when you say my options 
or some people allow their options to define their objectives? Yeah, it's a really great thread right there because the reason that that really resonates and and sticks with me is because we're we're so taught as a society to look at the things that are available to us as the as the choices that are being presented to us in just about everything everything we're being presented with options a menu if you will and when you get conditioned to only looking for the menu to see what's actually available that you can choose from i feel that you actually lose the ability to maybe create something that's not on the menu that could even be better for you and so i think that message is to not allow the options that are only that you only see to define the objective that you're actually going for. So that forces you to say, well, what's the objective that I'm actually, you got to get clear. What is the objective that I'm actually trying to achieve? Mm -hmm. Is it that you're really just trying to get a new job or is it that you're trying to achieve some particular income status? Are you trying to get better work-life balance, more, maybe more freedom? Or do you want to spend more time with your kids? What are you trying to actually achieve? That's the objective. Now, let's not look at the options that are listed out for us to do that. Let's figure out, well, can we create an option? There you go. That will allow us to do that objective. And sometimes that can be part from a list. You take something from a list and then you use that into something else that you then create. Sometimes it's just you create it straight from scratch and it's not on any list whatsoever. But the bigger point is that you don't only operate from just the choices that are presented on a list. This is akin to, I don't care if you see a home that you know you just love. So what? It's not on the market. Do you still not go knock on the door? Do you still not send them a letter? Do you still not ask? You never know. You create your own options. You create your own option if that's your objective. And so I think that for me was the way that I started what I call work from free to fee. That's when I would start calling around. Yeah, yeah. The op- I, didn't, I couldn't get the jobs. I didn't have the degree. I didn't have the work experience. So how do I, but I needed to get this experience to be live on air. If I have dreams of being on television at the highest levels, if I have dreams of doing shows and creating content at the highest levels, if I have dreams of me being in studios or on live television, how the hell am I going to get that experience if I if I can't pick from the list that's available from me <laughs> as the options? Right. And, and what I love about the way you approach this, Mario, is you stepped into your uniqueness. You did not compromise who you are. You did not try to be anyone other than you. And that is what you now share with other people. You talk about the power of understanding your unique self of understanding yeah. what your superpower is, what your gift is, what your it factor is, is, is that unique spirit within you. Can you talk a little bit about why you feel that's so important? Billy, man, because like, you know, like even listening to you do this, do this interview, it's clear to me, and I'm not saying this because I'm on the show. I just wouldn't, I just wouldn't say it, but it's clear to me that this is unique to you, that you really enjoy this, that you really cherish it's probably a really good word. I think you cherish the research, the process, the uncoverings. I think you get as giddy. I think you think of this as 
you the listener more than you the interviewer. And I think you're trying to get just as giddy as you hope your inter your audience is getting based off of your interviews because of the level of research, the the, the level of interest, the thought-provoking questions, and how you're tying it all in. This isn't easy. This isn't just some random conversation that can just happen. I can tell this has been thought through. To what degree, I don't know. I'm, I haven't been beside you, but I can tell it's been thought through. I've been in the business for a long time. I know. And that, to me, signals a lot in terms of your uniqueness and how you are showing through your work how you are different. And I think that's really important, whether that's something that you were picked on as a kid for others that may be listening, like that very thing that I got picked on, that curly hair or whatever, is one of the things that kind of differentiates me. So totally, I'm not going right? to shave it. I'm not going to like flatten it or try to straighten it. I'm going to like lean into that. Right? So right. you know, I think we run from the things that can make, that can really enable our superpower to shine because- it is a fearful thing to do to step into something that feels super vulnerable. But that thing that feels super vulnerable is usually the thing that will unlock a major opening for you. And so trying to take small steps with that vulnerability so that you can start getting warmer and warmer to being even more open and more expressive, I think is really important. My uniqueness was allowing people to really see see almost into my soul. So there were times a few years ago when we were shopping our show and here I am, I'm on the Today Show as a paid contributor. I'm actually paid to appear. I don't, I'm not just there for the exposure. I'm actually getting a check. And I had to make uh, 135 appearances a year by contract with NBC. So I'm making a lot of appearances uh, on, the sh on, on the network. Here I am on the network being paid. The people love me because they're paying me to be on air. I go and pitch them my show idea. Not that I expected it to be a shoe in because I'm being paid on air, but they told me like, no, we don't think anybody cares about this kind of idea or the way you're presenting it. No one really is into the Oprah days of like taking notes and having positive programming that's informative are kind of done. We're, we're, people really just want entertainment. And this is like really when probably in the middle of reality was really just like really kind of still not even taking off, but was just like really kind of cemented, I think at that point as a foundation for where programming was headed. And so I'm getting told no by people that are actually paying me a check for, for the very thing that I do on air. <laughs> so it's like this juxtaposition that I really want people to understand because like, imagine yeah. me on the inside already being told no. What do you think they're telling people on the outside that's trying to even try to get into the door? And the reason why I'm bringing that up is because when you're being told those no's, you can then start to change who you are, or you could start to want to pull back and not lean into your uniqueness because maybe you think, oh, something's wrong with me. Let me change this about me. And what I realized was mm -hmm. I was going live on Periscope at the time, live streaming and, and then on Facebook live. And I was straight, like there were a couple of times when I was so angry that it was turning into tears and, and it was turning into sobbing and I wasn't cutting off the stream. And I was just trying to tell people like, to me, this was a teachable moment. And that's why I wanted them to see it. But to my family members, they were like, what the hell are you doing? Especially like my dad and my uncle, like, dude, what are you doing? They are, everybody already thinks you made it. You're already on the Today Show. You're hanging out with Al Roker and all this other stuff. Like, everybody already thinks you made it. Why are you on camera crying to the world, talking about why is it so hard to try to get your pilot out there? So they didn't understand it. But what's happening is 
in the stream, tons of people are rooting for me. Tons of people are saying, thank you for being so open and honest. Tons of people are saying, this is what it really is like to try to get your thing out there. Thank you for showing us the struggle and the pain, not just the end result. And so for every one comment that's telling me, ah, you shouldn't be doing that, I'm getting 30 other comments that are telling me, this is exactly what I need to hear. I can't thank you enough. And so I think that uniqueness for me was learning that, oh, somehow it doesn't bother me at all to not play the I made it game and I need to look good and I can apply a filter on my life. Somehow for me, I've been able to be comfortable with being so transparent that it can make other people uncomfortable for me. <laughs> when I'm not on- <laughs> I love that, man. Well, it's like it's, it's, it's going back to the thing we talked about at the beginning. It's, you know, everyone wants to root for the underdog. And I, I love when you said that everyone should really focus on leaning into the things that they're most afraid of. That, that right there is a powerful insight. And you talked about the things that you're teased at as a kid, right? Those, those are the things that you'll be known for. I know a guy that's an amazing podcaster and he was getting ripped for his list. Really? The one thing that he was afraid to do was open his mouth and talk because he would always get chastised wow. for his damn lisp. And he's killing it in podcasting with a lisp. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, yeah. so, I mean, this happens all the time, man. And I just think, you know, there's a, there's, and I'm not a neuroscientist, but I've definitely done some studying and I've definitely interviewed others that are in this space. And, and all the neuroscientists will tell you this, the brain is positioned to keep you comfortable. It is, it, it's mm-hmm. job is to make you feel safe. That's right. That's what its job is. So that's really useful when you're out in the street <laughs> and you have to pay attention to a car coming your way or right, you're, right, in, right. In, in, you know, you're in a sketchy neighborhood somehow or whatever, right? Or someone is late at night and you're like, what's that person doing behind me? Absolutely. But when it comes to pursuing your dream, we allow our brain to apply the same process of keep me safe from someone that might rob me, that same process moves right on over to, don't you dare go after sp- being a public speaker or being on that stage because you, 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 you know that's going to make you nervous as hell and you're going to fail, right? Like it's the, I'm going to get robbed. Right. It's the same intensity. And so if you know that is a common denominator, nothing you can do about it. It is an automatic trigger that's just going to happen that when your body is actually experiencing energy that makes you uncomfortable, it's going to automatically go into this protect you mode. If you know that is the default wiring, why aren't we taught better how to hack it? Preach, dude, I'm telling you, you just struck the most, one of the most important things in life is recognizing that it's unlikely we're going to get eat by, eaten by a lion. It's unlikely that a bear is going to attack us. That's right. Yet our brain is wired through years and years and years of protecting ourselves, keeping us safe to avoid risk, avoid putting ourselves in yes. danger, dangerous path. And I'm glad you used the word dream because I want to talk about vision. And okay, your- before you say that, I just want to say this to the people too, because there's one thing that I just before, because uh, I don't want to yeah. lose it. Do it, do it. I, there's this thing about that whole brain neuroscience piece that I just want to try to drive home for people too. We don't say, I don't allow people to say nervous around me anymore. Like no one can say, Hey Mario, I'm nervous. Uh, in clubhouse rooms all the time, people will say, Oh, I'm nervous to be on stage. No, you're not start over. 
nervousness is a label that our brain is telling us to put onto something. And it all related to this whole fear and to everything that we're talking about here, this kind of programming that's happening. And when we use the word nervous, we automatically start to shrink. I've never seen someone say I'm nervous and they poke their chest out and stand up strong and say, I'm <laughs> nervous to be here like with a smile on their face. It's always the opposite. It's like they're hunched over, they're quiet. It's almost like what they're really asking for is a disclaimer in advance that they may be crap. So I just want to let you know in advance, you know, I'm just going to use this word nervous, but what it really is saying is I really am afraid of what I'm about to do here. So I'm hoping that you give me a pass if it doesn't come off right. Yep. And instead, because that's a label, because it's just energy, our brain does not know whether it's a gun in our face or not until we say that's a gun. But it teaches it, 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 it still says to us, oh, it feels like a gun in front of our face. No, it's not. It's just a damn podium. It's a microphone, but it feels like a gun. Exactly. But it's a microphone. So here, don't say you're nervous. Instead, you say I'm energized or I'm excited because mm -hmm. it's just energy. And the energy is now getting a label by being called nervous, which now makes it even feel like more negative energy, which even puts us into further angst. And now we wonder why we have sweaty palms or we're, we're shaking or our, our pupils are dilating or our mouth get, gets dry. Like all of these physiological reactions to our body is just to the energy. You get to choose what you want to label that energy. So I'm saying, I prefer to label the energy as excitement or that uh, I'm energized. So now whenever I feel like my brain is like, man, you're getting ready to go on stage. It's getting ready to happen. And I can be confident about it, but I can still get quote unquote nervous, but not anymore. I just say, oh, this is good energy. Okay. Yep. I feel it. It's energy. All right. I'm energized by this moment. And, and, there, and therefore I lean more into it. So I just wanted to kind of, you know, I'm such a, I'm such, I'm such a teacher <laughs> that if I say something, I really kind of want to always bring in some kind of tactical thing for people to try to implement to see if it can help them get some kind of breakthrough for them. Oh, I'm so glad you did. Words matter, right? Instead of saying you have nervous energy, so you have excited energy. Uh, it's a defense mechanism, right? It's a, it's it a protection ourselves. When we say we're That's nervous, right. we're trying to, as you said, we're trying to kind of allow ourselves to fail or be have a perceived failure mm -hmm. and then make acceptable or okay in the eyes of other people. Because again, we want to please other people. We want to impress other people. We're conscious of how we compare to other people. And so I think it's really important that we almost trick our mind by associating a different word, a word that we have a better belief association, in. Belief. Yeah, yep, association, belief. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. Belief. That's a great word. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In association with, and therefore we can feel less nervous, nervous and, and more excited. Right. Yeah. And so I think I think it's a great point and super actionable, something that somebody can immediately apply. Let's talk about vision, right? Because you believe yes. that if people don't think that your vision is too big, if people aren't scared of how big your vision is, it's not big enough. Why do you feel that way? <laughs> because because if, you're, if you state what it is you're trying to achieve, and first and foremost, let me just say this. Let's not worry about other people because we we do have we do have an addiction to acceptance, which is natural. I get that. But I want you to be so scared of your own dream that it's got to start with you first. So if you say your dream and it doesn't scare you, it's not big enough. And the reason I say that is because that's more of like a goal that you're actually going to achieve than it is something that feels to you potentially improbable 
but you're going to go for it anyway. That's what it needs to feel like. It needs to feel that it's potentially improbable, but you're going after it with everything you got. And so, because that's everything, you know, I talk to people all the time about goals and tasks and to-do lists. And my favorite technique is like the Pomodoro technique to kind of like stay focused in in like, you know, blocks of time. I started doing that, man. And that's gold right there. Oh man, that thing is so good for me. Like, especially when I really need it and I know that I'm being distracted or I'm, you know, my energy is like running rampant. Oh, it doesn't happen Um, all the time. I mean, I'm like, I need, I always need it. (laughs) No, it's, it's, it's frequent enough, I think, but it's not like every day, but there are some, I guess there are some days when I feel like I'm in a Pomodoro on my own. And then there are other days where I'm just like, dude, get the tomato timer, put it on the desk, like get this (laughs) thing going. (laughs) Cause you're just all over the place, dude. Um, But I think that, you know, a lot of people aren't pushing themselves to their fullest potential. And really that's what it really is. It's, it's about really saying your dream has to be big enough that it motivates the heck out of you to the point where you're like, I don't even know if I can accomplish this thing, but I'm going to go after it. Because if you do that, you will get further than the goal that you know you can actually accomplish. So there's a difference. If you set a goal that you know you can meet, you will more than likely accomplish that goal day in and day out. But what's the real question? The real question is, if you push that goal and stretched that goal to, to be further, could you have done that too? Yeah. Could you exceeded, even if you didn't achieve that goal, that fully stretched one, did you exceed the goal you would have already made? Yeah. No, and I, and I love the idea of stretching ourselves, not setting a goal that we know we can achieve, but setting a goal that stretches us past what we think we can achieve and then forcing ourselves to go above and beyond to, to meet what many might perceive, including ourselves, as unattainable. Uh, You know, having worked for Elon Musk, I relate to that because I think everyone can agree that what he strives for, most people think is out of the question, like, right, right. go to Mars, right? Yeah, right. Okay. So I want to go into a lightning round here. I'm going to say a term, okay, a term that I associate with you. So we'll call these Mario-isms. And I want (laughs) a, a quick, a quick hit overview of what the word means. And then, um, Anyone listening right now, you could find a lot of this by going checking out never neversettle.tv. And is that the is that the domain where they could find a lot of those PDFs or S curve and things of that nature? Yes. Yes. Thank you. Yep. Neversettle.tv slash tools. Got it. Okay. So yep. let's talk before we get to the S curve, let's talk about the mindful hustle. What is that? Oh, the mindful hustle is this beautiful thing of taking what are two extremes, opposite ends of the spectrum and merging them together. It's kind of part of a formula that I call the peanut butter and jelly formula. Whenever you can take two things in your industry, in your world, in your expertise, find two things that normally don't go together. See if you can find a a common thread between them and you'll end up creating something that hasn't been created in the market, or at least it'll be something really different in the market. Mm. And so for me, that was the mindful hustle. We are, we're typically taught in personal development and motivational speaking and all this stuff from people and other entrepreneurs, like you got to hustle, you got to push, you got to go. We have really sold ourselves heavy on no sleep, hustle, go after it, make it happen. And the flip side is you have a bunch of people that are burnt out, 
suicide rates are high, mental health problems, family disruption, you know, divorces, all types of things that happen when you try to subscribe to just that one way. And I said to myself, there has to be a way that I can still hustle, but still do it in a way where I don't feel like I'm completely draining my soul, not my energy. I could be tired in the hustle, but that's different than my soul being completely tired. Mm. And so I felt like as I started leaning in more into meditation, as I started really understanding the power of coming back to self, understanding the power of quiet time with yourself, really dealing with your thoughts, um, having deeper prayer. Uh, once those things really started to show up in my life to really have value to me and what, what, what I was seeing, I said, oh, it's completely manageable. I, I completely can control the matrix of this. And I said, we're going to call it the mindful hustle. We're not going to say just be mindful, which kind of just feels like, oh, let me just slow down. Let me just be really observant. Let me be the most empathetic human being on the planet. And not that that's a bad thing. You should, everybody should be striving to be the most damn empathetic human being <laughs> on the planet. <laughs> but it also can just kind of make people feel like, oh, is this dude like off in yoga land somewhere and just like letting life happen? No, it, it is more of being in the present. And when you're in the present, you're more mindfully aware of how you're using your energy, how you're using your words, what you're doing to your body who you're spending time with, who you're not spending time with, if you are more presently aware in that moment. This is why I don't believe that work-life balance exists. We, we needed a label because we needed to try to control the beast. I, I, I need balance in my life. There's too much work. It's too much life. I don't get any work-life balance. The only thing you actually balance, as far as I'm concerned, is what's happening to you right now in that moment. Mm, I'm glad you brought up moment. It's a perfect segue. What is the difference between a bad day and a bad moment? Well, that's right. This is supposed to be rapid fire. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's all good. It's all good. Like quick Marioisms. My bad. Bad day and a bad moment. Man, this is a good one because I found myself feeling that when I say I have a bad day, that I actually start feeling bad. I, I started paying attention to it. And I was just like, and, and I also would notice it with other family members. I'm like, you know, you said you had a bad day kind of often, but was the whole day really bad? And then I drill in and they'd be like, well, you know, this thing happened. And, and I'm like, okay, so that one moment took place, but you're going to, we're going to let that like run our whole day. And he'd kind of be like, my brother would be like, yeah, I kind of see what you mean. And I'm like, yeah, I get it. it. It sucks. But like the whole day. And so he's like, yeah. So I was like, nah, man, what if we call these things bad moments? Yeah. And he was like, Hmm, bad moments. I was like, yeah, man, we don't have bad days. We actually have bad moments. You might have several bad moments in a day and maybe that makes a bad day, but let's not always call a bad moment a bad day. Let's actually compartmentalize the moment so that we can actually move around that, come back to it later or deal with it in that moment, whatever it is, but it's not going to be able to inform the rest of my entire day because I had one bad moment. I, I love that, I think, and it's super practical because I think we often associate a whole day because of one or two or three bad things that happen, right? It might because be our brains thing. are wired to always recall the thing that gave always. us the most pain, not That's the right. thing. This is why when we look at our to-do list and we say like, oh man, I didn't get a damn thing done. I still feel like I got the world in front of me. It's like, why don't you celebrate the two things you did get done? Weren't those two things important? <laughs> oh yeah, they were, but I didn't get these other eight. Hold on. Did the other two get done? <laughs> you know, it's like that's that right. type of thing. 
So I talked about it a few times. What is this whole S curve? Because we know in technology, this is something that's used, but you've applied it to personal growth. Curious if you could share what that what that means. Yeah, the S curve, and you're right. It's applied to a business and technology trajectory. So it's the usage and the acquisition of kind of like if you think about like when the iPhone first came out or when smartphones first came out, everybody was at the beginning of the S curve because no one ever had a phone like this before. So the beginning is like you're in this learning stage, you're finding out, you're experimenting, you're getting educated, you're absorbing, you're all about that education and that learning. Then you start to come up the middle of the S and you're starting to acquire some real skills now because you've gone through some experiences, you've learned some things, and now you're starting to apply that. As you start to apply that, you start to climb up uh, higher to the top of the S. And the goal is that you get to a point where the market is fully saturated or has peaked. And so with technology adoption, it's normally like this S-curve. Where, where has this product on the S-curve hit? Are we still in this phase of people learning and using and applying? Or are we now at the end of the product cycle and it's hit the top of the S and it's time for us to come up with a new version or an upgrade or something completely different? And so I just wanted to apply that to ourselves in our own lives in terms of, well, our life is one big S-curve because it's one big journey. But then there are certain things within our lives that are also S-curves. Like how long have you been podcasting? Two years. Two years. You're still at the beginning stages of an S-curve. I mean, you're a little, you're not at the beginner. How many interviews have you done so far or episodes? Uh, About a hundred. A little that's, over a major, that's a major number compared to other people in the podcast world. So based off of that number and the two years, I'm going to now slide you up into more of the middle of that S-curve. You're yep. still learning, you're, but you're applying and yep. you're still hungry. You're still collaborating, trying to figure out new ways and new things to tweak and to do and to make it better and refine it. And then you're going to hit a mastery level at a certain point. And at that certain point, you'll be at the top of your S-curve. And then at that point, you have to ask yourself, do I want to stay at this mastery level or is there a new S curve for me to now conquer? Mm. And I think what happens is too often people may get to that top of that S curve and feel like that was the end destination. And it's like, it can be if that's what you want. But if you're talking to Mario who wants you to really push yourself to like do everything you possibly can do so that you don't leave anything on this earth that you've been fully drained and you utilize your being and your energy to its fullest extent, you're going to find a new S-curve to go tackle now. Yes. Thank you so much for leading with inspiration from a a C-plus student in high school (laughs) to uh, a B student college that wasn't able to finish because of something that basically was out of your control to do the things you've ever been able to do in your life, to to be able to inspire, to be able to help others on their journey, to realize their dreams, to make sure that you give them the tools that maybe they wouldn't have on their own. I admire that. I believe that dreams happen because others show us that we can dream big. And you're somebody that does that. You're somebody that helps us remember to dream big. And I know you believe dreams have no expiration date. Oh man, yeah, it's true. Tough, Billy, because you know I'm a human being and I'm not above anyone and I'm not invincible. I just had a moment the other day where I'm like, we're about to launch this course. 
And I have no idea if anyone's going to really buy into this course. And I really hope they do because we put so much time and energy in it. But also because I kind of had a goal in my mind of what I wanted to not only generate as impact, but also generate as revenue for the company. Sure. And I was having some of those thoughts. And and I know the things to kind of do when the triggers, you know, because I teach people what they are, but it doesn't mean that I shouldn't be applying them to my own life. So I'm saying that to say that I'm real, just like all of you that are listening. Like I go through it too. So even though Billy's giving me a ton of kudos and I, I really appreciate that, I want you all to know that I think the difference between hearing people talk about self-help and personal development and people actually being vulnerable enough to share how they have to still deal with it, even though they teach other people as best they can how to get around it. I think that's super powerful of a message for because I think that that can hopefully enable you, the listener, to think about how you can be that vulnerable for whatever it is you need to do for your for your family or for your clients or for your customers or for people that are relying on you or look to you for advice or information or inspiration or energy. Your interview style, man, has been amazing. You you took me to some places that I didn't expect to go, and I appreciate that. And I really just hope that the listeners got some powerful value from our dialogue because uh, I definitely felt like I revealed some things in, in some different ways that I've never done before. And, and that's only through how you decided to do the interview to pull that out of me. So thanks. Well, I appreciate that, man. Well, one, one quick thing that you mentioned yeah. those triggers and I, and I meant to ask you this when you first said it, but is yeah. there, is there as a parting bit of advice, is there a, a method or an approach you use to identify those triggers either for yourself or helping somebody else to identify those triggers? Because I think that's something that you mentioned earlier and again now, and I just, I think that would be valuable as a, as a final takeaway. Yeah, Billy, that's a really great point because everybody's triggers are, are going to be different for them. So it's hard because without really being able to consult with someone one-on-one, I don't really think that there's anything in general you can just say. The one thing I would say, generally speaking, is that when the moment hits, that, that, that has erupted you, whatever that moment is, that's the moment to actually catch what it was that just took place. So an example could be you grabbed your phone, you started scrolling, you saw something on Instagram and it set you, it it set you off. If the thing, so in that case, Comparison, comparison mode, something like that. But yeah. And then what about that comparison set you off? Because because people will say to me, well, Mario, well, then what's the tactic? Should I just mute the account? But you're not going to get to the root of the problem. You're going to then see it in real life and you're going to have the same reaction. So how do you get to the root of the problem? So it really is being aware enough and wanting. This is really the first step. The first step is, are you willing to want to help yourself improve? Mm-hmm. Can you say yes to that and be honest with yourself? Because if you can say yes to that and be honest, then you start to actually allow yourself to open up to see where your improvements need to be. And that will help you see where that thing happened that sent you down a bad spiral. And then you have to ask yourself a deeper question. Why did that send me down a spiral? And then I always call the three whys. So you ask the first why. Why? And they say, oh, because I saw something on Instagram. Okay, what did you, you know, what's the second why? Why, what, what about the thing you saw on Instagram? Well, I saw this particular thing and I feel like, you know, I should be doing that thing. Okay, why do you feel you should be doing, like, if you go that, le- that deep, right. you then get to the real thing of, well, because honestly, I feel like I've been procrastinating and I know that if I just like could stop, start focusing on blah, 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 I would probably get such, such done. 
okay, now we can actually work on something. What's the next small step that you can take towards that small thing? But you can also make other things be triggers. We should say this as a parting gift. Sometimes you may not be, have the awareness yet to identify the triggers that are happening to you, but you can create your own triggers. So right. you could say, when I wake up, instead of grabbing, like when you have that cup of coffee first thing in the morning, what does that trigger you to do? What's a good thing that you could do at that moment? Oh, maybe you could say a prayer or maybe you could, um, you know, tell your kids you love them, or right. maybe you could think happy thoughts or be grateful, like whatever, like set your own associate actions. that thing. Yeah, I totally with you. So you're drinking coffee. Okay. When I drink my coffee, this other action should take place. I That's should right. write in my journal. I should say something to my kids. I should That's go right. hug my you wife. I should go write a post-it note and put it on the mirror that says, I love you to my wife. Something that's going to trigger you to do some action. You did it. I don't know if you do this as a routine, but that's which is different than a habit, by the way. But that's a whole another discussion for another <laughs> another interview. But but you did this, and I don't know if it's a routine for you uh, or if it's a habit for you. But when you started this interview, you said to me, "Let's take thirty seconds and let's just exhale and just be in this moment. Let's take thirty seconds of quiet." And I heard you deep breathe, and I deep breathe, and that was that is a you are about to start your podcast. That is the trigger. Well, before I start, I do this thing with my guest. Mm -hmm. You did it. That's exactly the way that we can actually take more control over some of the things. And then I'll say this last thing. When you have those negative things that happen and you catch the trigger, then it's, well, what actions can I take? So it's, if you really want to do the research and look this up, go Google pattern interrupt. Because mm -hmm. what you need to do is interrupt the pattern that you're about to, that you're already maybe in, or you're about to go into the deep spiral. So for me, the pattern interrupt, I have like five different levels before I get down to like the, the hot sauce level of, oh my God, I'm in danger. <laughs> I, I got, and, and so like level one is, level one is just like, <laughs> exactly. So, so level one is easy. Level one is kind of like, I'll play some music that pumps me up. I'll grab a playlist. So I have a motivational playlist that's in my phone on the ready. If that's not really doing it for me, then I, I take a, a walk outside or I stop what I'm doing completely and do not work on it for the next 10 minutes. Do something. Third thing is I go and watch five or 10 minutes of one of my favorite comedians. And by the way, I have all this stuff kind of like on the ready. It, it goes through these little steps. The last one is if I need a complete reboot, <laughs> like I've gotten, I've gotten so deep into this thing and I'm really like upset about something, then I will actually go and take another shower. I like, I get out of the clothes. I, I re-shower and I don't put on the same clothes. I actually change into different <laughs> right. clothes. But, I love that. Dude, that's so actionable, man. Like dude, that, like there right go. there, you can apply that. Anybody that wants to reboot. I mean, it's all about programming. And like, as you said, that pattern interrupt. And I know that another thing you talk about is just, you know, our prefrontal cortex is so overloaded with like <sighs> solve this problem, solve that problem. And it's like so true, the rest man. of our brain is like, please help, you know, and <laughs> And because of that, I mean, and this is why I started my show is because we have these insights. You talk about the shower. We have most of our insights while we're on the, we're in the shower, while we're on the toilet, while we're taking a yes. walk. It's yes. because our brain is finally quiet enough right. to where we can actually solve a problem or come up with a solution to something in our lives where we're not constantly inundating our prefrontal cortex, overworking it. You know, the amount of stimulus that's coming at us is crazy. What you, you maybe think Aquanotes. I don't know if you have these, Billy. These things have saved me. They're called Aquanotes. I don't have anything with the company. I don't get anything for it. But go to Amazon, search for Aquanotes. These are notepads that uh, have suction cups that are waterproof that now sit in my shower. Oh, with I a, love 
<laughs> with a pencil <laughs> with a pencil that's waterproof and i can write my notes and then uh my ideas and i just write them out and then the you can tear off the piece of paper and take it with you for your day or whatever dude okay that, that right there you need i know i know you got your uh your wish to have your, the 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 your eyeglass company be your spot what's it what's their name again uh, uh zenny z-e-n-n-i got it okay and, and so you have a course coming out I would love it if you could yes. tell people where to find that. I know, I know MarioArmstrong.com is your main website. You got a YouTube channel, Instagram. We met on Clubhouse, which I yes, instantly, we did, man. I instantly <laughs> fell in love with you. You were one of my early rooms and it was just like, okay, I just, I love this guy. And I like, I through multiple interactions. I, uh, every single time I heard you speak, I was like, okay, this is the type of energy that I want to surround myself with. So I'm so glad you were able to come on the show. So where is the, where will the course be? And uh, any other place, obviously, Never Settle uh, is an sh- amazing show. I binge watched it. I literally watched Did every you? episode. Oh, man, it's great. They're only 15 minutes an episode. They're, they're know, easy to they're so They're so good. And then you have your podcast, Wake Up and Level Up. Uh, but tell us about the course and where people will be able to find that. I know it's about to come out. Yeah, it is. Um, so go to uh, GetSponsorshipMoney.com. GetSponsorshipMoney.com money.com. And real quickly, this, the course is really all about helping you understand. So for any of you that really would like to, there's two reasons why you would want to do this. One, you already make content or you are in event planning, or you already have ideas for how you could expand on something that you're doing with sponsors and you want to be able to do it better and more consistently, that would be one audience. Then there's a whole other audience that doesn't realize that this is an easier way for you to actually raise money for your business or for your ideas than it is to do, say, crowdfunding or get a loan from a bank, which has to be repaid with interest, or worse, go to VC, who's also going to have equity ownership and maybe even some control as to the types of decisions you make. Sponsorship money is available. You just need to know how to pitch brands with ROI attached to your idea that they can understand. And then you use that money to, yes, go and do the thing that you promised that you would develop or or present, but you're also going to do it at a profit so that it also brings money to your business. But by yeah. the way, when you connect with a sponsor, it can also add, it can also give you more leverage with your credibility and help raise your value because you're being associated with brands that also have value. So it's all about really, if you really want to understand how to get brand dollars to help fund your ideas, uh, that's what this course is really made to do. And we went deep into it with walkthroughs, demos. Um, I show you case studies. I give you templates. We get By the end of this, you come out with your own pitch deck. You understand mm-hmm. exactly how to pitch people in Instagram and the DMs. You know how to do it on email. You know how to do it on the phone. Like It's really comprehensive. So just take a look at it. See if it's for you. Go to GetSponsorshipMoney.com. Is there a module on how to make sure you, you're wearing the right sneakers to get the right? <laughs> no, but no. there is a module on tapping into your uniqueness and how to leverage that in a meeting. I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, Mario, I am so, so, so happy we had this conversation. You, I, I already knew you were an amazing human being and you so beautifully illustrated that during this conversation. You're such a giver. Oh, you have such you a know. kind heart. Uh, I, I, I've always felt it. Uh, and, you. uh, Today did absolutely did not disappoint. Mario Armstrong, thank you for being on Inside Out. It's been a true honor and a pleasure. You've been listening to one of the best podcast interviews I've been on in a century, y'all. Maybe not a century. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds weird. We've been in a long time. And it's with Billy on Inside Out. So thanks so much for having me, man. It's been a pleasure. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Inside Out. I hope you took away some valuable insights that will help you in business and in life. If you like this show, the best payment you can give is to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. You can also listen to past episodes and see a breakdown of all the best insights by going to insightoutshow.com. And for the record, there's no greater compliment than sharing this show with your friends on social media. So if there's an insight or a lesson that you liked, please share it and tag both me and today's guest. And until next time, remember, your next life-changing breakthrough moment may happen when you least expect it. Insight out.